0: So if you're one of those uh, people that like an outline, you can uh, find in in your bulletin, I don't always do this, uh, but I've uh, got that for you this week and um, may help you to follow the message a little bit. Um, So Mark typically isn't the place that we, it's not typically the place we go during the Advent season because uh, Matthew and Luke uh, really seem to give us much more of what we would think of as the Christmas story, if you will um, but what 's interesting is that Mark was probably the first gospel that was written, and so he his account of Jesus is uh, is you know, obviously though it was written um, probably twenty or so years after Jesus uh, was on the earth uh, is still that account which has this very rapid-fire, fast-paced accounting of who Jesus is—he doesn't give us necessarily so much of what Jesus said, but he is telling us about who He is. And right out of the gate, you see, um, and, and you get this kind of reference—the beginning. And that, if you if you hear that, you should probably think creation, right? Because that's kind of what Mark is doing—he's the beginning of it all. Um, and the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He just lays it out there. That's who I am going to tell you about. about. That's what uh, Mark is telling us. And so this morning, um, doing something just a little bit different as we think about Advent, we're going to be thinking about a wilderness Christmas, okay? And uh, the first point that I want you to see that, that um, Mark gives to us is a messenger from the past, If you look at verses 2 and 3, you'll see that uh, there's this quote that comes to us from Isaiah 40. You can go back, you can read that, Uh, Russ read read a portion of that for us already. But this messenger from the past that um, is now arriving on the scene, scene, Mark tells us, is none other than John the Baptist and so john is on the scene and he comes and he's baptizing and he is the one that is announcing this message he is the one that is making the way if you will to um, he he is the one that has a message that begins to level out the roads and to bring the mountains down and he is the one that is setting the stage for Jesus to come, and his message is that right? prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight now the most probably the most amazing thing right here in that 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 statement is is to answer the question, who is the Lord? who is the one that he's speaking of because you automatically think to yourself, well that's Jesus, okay but just kind of try to rewind the tape. Put the genie back in the box. Think like someone who would have heard this in the first century. Who is that Lord? You're you're, you're preparing to read this. If you go back and you look at uh, the section out of Isaiah 40, what you would discover is that Lord, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, so it's nice that it pops back up again, If you go and look at it, is in all caps, those lowercase caps, and you'll remember we said that is to identify the word Yahweh. That is the covenant name of God. That is the that is the name that God gave to Moses when he was passing by him. The Lord, gracious and compassionate. Okay? That is who, that's who God announced. I am that God. I am that covenant making God. And so when we get this quote then in Mark, what Mark is saying is that the one who is coming, you and I quickly identify him as Jesus, but the quote is, it's Yahweh. It's the Lord Almighty. And so we now begin the, the you know, the, the puzzle pieces are coming together. And if you were thinking about this the first go around, if you're reading this the first time, you would have been on the edge of your seat. Hold on. You mean that the one who is coming is Yahweh, the covenant making God, the God who revealed himself to Israel at in the Exodus event at Mount Sinai? That God? He's the one that's coming? And of course the answer is Yeah. That is the God who is. Him. Think about that. That is unbelievable. It really is a remarkable thing. Um, so, this past drill, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, somewhere in there, our, our uh, commander staff is getting ready for all of the drill status guardsmen. There's about a thousand of this. That are going to show up Friday, Saturday, Sunday, okay? And so uh, those are the folks that I work most directly with. And and I was over there and uh, Saturday, I, I think, and we were talking about things that had gone on. And one of the things that came up was that there was a special visitor that was coming to base this coming Saturday, um, which was yesterday, okay? And uh, and so they were talking about it. They were telling the story that we got a they got a phone call on. Thursday of last week before drill, and so the commander secretary uh, master sergeant Sanders answers answers the phone, and she's in there and she's uh, okay. Um, the person, the person is coming. What what person is coming? And so uh, they you know they're recounting this conversation and they hear Cheryl trying to figure out who is the person that's coming. Well, the person on the other end of the phone finally has to just kind of probably go further than they wanted to. They said, POTUS is coming. And she's like, oh, yeah, right, okay? The President of the United States is coming to Jackson, coming to our little teeny tiny base. And they're like, yeah, POTUS is coming next Saturday. And so they're trying to... You know, the ball is rolling. Somebody said, you know, liking it. When the Secret Service calls and they say, hey, the president's coming next week, it's like imagining that all of a sudden you're eight and a half months pregnant and you're going to have a baby in a week, okay? You have to do everything to get ready. And so that's what they were trying to do is get this ball rolling. But she's incredulous on the phone. Oh, right, yeah, the president's coming, okay? And uh, and he did come, and all these all my friends were posting pictures yesterday, and it looked like a lot of fun. But uh, that's kind of an imagine, unimaginable, right? Really, the president's coming? Yes, the president is coming. This this far outweighs that. This is much more impressive. Yahweh, the covenant-making God. Of the universe, the one who created all things, Mark is saying, as he quotes John the Baptist, is coming. Prepare the way because Yahweh is coming. That's, it's mind-blowing. It's, it's, it is what makes us different. It's what makes Christianity a whole new ballgame, is that God became one of us. That's the amazing message. God has become a human. And not only that, but John's telling us he's going to come and he is going to go Out into the wilderness. Why would he do that? Why would he come and go to the wilderness? Why would he exist at all out in the wilderness? Now, if if you just stop right there, let me ask you a question. How how does that change us? How does God coming in the flesh change us? And it does. This is, this is really radical. Somebody has said that it changes the drive shaft of your life, is the way he put it. Every human heart has something that gets us out of bed each and every day. And he says for a lot of people that something is fear. It's fear of missing out. It's, it's fear of, of missing out on something perhaps divine. Now, each of the other religions out there have their way to God and, the, and the, something that you would miss out on, right? Islam has its five pillars. Uh, Judaism has its ten commandments. You've got all the other religions. But Christianity, Mark is telling us, is that God came and gave himself to us. He came. He showed up in the flesh. for, And because he has done this, Right, Because He has chased after us, because God became flesh and He tabernacled among us, He lived among us, He walked among us, that changes everything. And it changes the affections of our hearts. It transforms our hearts. Why? Because God identified completely and totally with you and with I. Here's the second part of that is that by taking on flesh, by coming down to this world, God said, this world matters. You and I matter, right? Um, he, Jesus comes, and what does he do is he's here. Hey, He's healing. He's going around. He's driving out demons. He's calming storms. Not just physical, literal storms. He's calming storms in the hearts and lives of people. He's transforming people. We call this, right, renewal. He's renewing people as He's here. And and by the fact that God took on flesh and came into the world, He says, this matters. Flesh and bones matter. Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for you and I. And He is doing it in His physical body. Right now. That's what the Bible teaches. He ascended in bodily form. He will return in bodily form because it matters See, so often, somehow we think, we're just gonna escape this, okay? We're gonna, we're gonna get away from all of this stuff. When the Bible tells us clearly there is going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And so all of this stuff matters, and what Jesus came to do is not just rescue us, but to transform us, to renew us, to renew us individually, to, to begin to build His church, Corporately? Why? So that we can be a part of the renewal of all things. Listen, you know, advancements in science and technology, uh, math, all of that, the ever-expanding understanding of the world in which we live, isn't just so that you can have a great smartphone. It's so that we are taking all things under the submission and lordship of Christ. So you want to see all of those technologies. You, you want to see people saved. You want to see you know, you know children um, healthy. You, you want to see diseases being eradicated. All of those things. Why? Because eventually, ultimately, in that new heavens and the new earth, that's what is going to happen. And you and I get to be a part of it now. What an exciting time for us to be here. But that's how it changes the drive shaft of our life. God becoming flesh in doing that. He not only identifies with us, but at the same time, He communicates to us that all of this stuff matters. It matters. And it's, it, it, it can be used and is used in kingdom-oriented ways. So that is this messenger from the past who is coming, and that is the message that he is bringing, or at least part of it. And we want to talk about more of that now as we think about a message for the present, right? Because this this message that he is announcing, uh, the straight paths and, and, and more of that, is available for us. But we have to go to the wilderness, so to speak. So years ago... uh well, many years ago now, uh, I had an opportunity to go to Indian Springs, Nevada. Has anybody been to Indian Springs, Nevada? I am the only one that's been to Indian Springs. Wow, this is this I'm is going to tell you about it. So Indian Springs, Nevada is about 90 miles outside of Las Vegas. Anybody been to Las Vegas? Yeah, you just didn't go to Indian Springs, um, which is probably more of a remarkable place. Because in Indian Springs, you're 90 miles into the wilderness. Okay? So Indian Springs is one of the play, not far from Indian Springs is where they did some of the early, uh, hydrogen bomb explosions above ground. And, uh, things like that. So it's military, it's wasteland. Okay? It, there's nothing out there. Absolutely nothing. And, and I'll never forget, um landing on a, in a C-130, we did an what's called an engine running offload. Some military guys will get giddy about that, okay? We did an engine running offload in Indian Springs, Nevada. So we land on a dirt strip. Um, I had a box lunch on the way out. I'm the first one to run off the plane, okay? You know what me in motion does, all right? So I won't say any more about that box lunch, except that some people may have had to run through it. Okay, but... We land and the engines are still running, and we go off, and they're throwing CS tear gas everywhere. And 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 after you know a little while, a couple of hours, I'm thinking, what in the world are we protecting? You know, we were practicing, we were we were preparing for what was called our silver flag, which was a desert location. And you start to realize there's nothing here, literally nothing except the most amazing sky at night you have ever seen. I had to go to the wilderness, literally the wilderness, where nothing lives in order to see the most amazing picture I've ever seen painted in the heavens above. Because at night in that foxhole, looking up, At those stars and watching the satellites crisscross that night sky was absolutely amazing. But I couldn't see it amidst all the clutter of the city and the, the noise pollution, the light pollution and all of that. But I had to go to the wilderness. And there's something similar going on here. Because the wilderness that John the Baptist is in is actually both a physical, literal wilderness this probably doesn't translate well for us because when you think wilderness, you think forest. And, and, and a forest is a place that's teeming with life, okay? But a wilderness in the Bible is exactly that, nothing. It's a place where nothing lives. It's a place where no water is found. It's a place where no food is found. So for wilderness, just think Israelites coming out of Egypt. They were in the wilderness of the Sinai. And in that place, remember, God had to water them. God had to feed them. He was their total sustainment. And so in the passage, okay, John appears and he baptized where? In the wilderness. He goes out to this desolate location, okay, and he there is baptizing. You and I, in a a similar way. Have to end up at some point in our life in some sort of a wilderness situation, we have to end up in this place in our in our lives, so it's figurative as well, right? We have to end up at this place in our life where there's no sustainment where all where everything around us is dead and dying and death and decay, we have to come to that point in our lives where we realize. There's nothing that will satisfy us. There is nothing here that will actually meet the deepest need of our heart. And so that would be a figurative wilderness that each of us has to get to. Where your career isn't the thing that is going to bring you that great joy. Where, Where even a relationship with a spouse or with a child or with a grandchild isn't going to meet that deepest need. Where money and finances don't meet your deepest need. And all of us have to be there. We have to get there if we're going to take that step and we're going to come to faith in our Creator God and in the Lord Jesus. Because He is the one that gives us that true sustainment. He is the one when every other well is running dry, He will meet that need. He will sustain you. He will give you, as we just said a few minutes ago, He will give you that new drive shaft, that new internal working that allows you to live in this world that is dying and to be a force for renewal. And so in this story, there's a figurative and a literal. And the the literal wilderness is that he is out there and he's announcing this message. It's, It's a message that, is similar to the ones that his hearers, primarily Jews, would have heard for eons. There's not that much different really in the message, but it has a different twist. They must admit their sinners, sinners in need of cleansing. Now, the Jewish people would have understood all of this, because if you go and you read the book of Numbers, you read the book of Leviticus, what you'll read there is that there were all kinds of washings. There there were all kinds of baptisms, if you will. If you were unclean in this way or that way, you had to go and you had to wash yourself and you had to be purified in order then to reenter the covenant community. And so it wasn't unheard of them. So John is out there and he's baptizing a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. That wasn't really a new message. But what was somewhat new, what was particularly new for them was someone baptizing them. So the fact that Mark was out in the wilderness, uh, that John the Baptist is out in the wilderness doing the baptizing, that was different. Because typically what happened was you went and you washed yourself in the stream or you poured the water over yourself in order to be cleansed. In this instance... The, the scenario changes. Now they go out to the wilderness. Look, they're streaming out from, Jude, from all of the cities. They're going out to John the Baptist, and he is the one that is baptizing them. Somebody is doing that baptism for them. He was performing that baptism, and that really, in effect, changes everything. And it changes everything in this sense. And this is that third point, a Messiah for the future. It changes everything in this sense. You'll notice at the very end, Mark tells us something significant. He says in verse 7, and he preached saying, After me comes one mightier than I, a strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Verse 8, he says, I have baptized you with water, but what? He will baptize you with the Spirit. He's giving the message to the people as they come out, and what he's saying to them is, listen, there is another baptism, and it is a greater baptism, and it is a more significant baptism, and you must be baptized by him in order to be saved. You must be baptized by him in order to have this forgiveness of sins. And that is the core of the message. The core of the message is this. What John the Baptist was saying and what Mark is saying to us is, you can't do it yourself. You can't do it yourself. And the one who is coming, he will do that baptism for you, of you. That's the remarkable part of the story. Because in his day, they had become so used to the ritual of doing it, of going, even though someone performed the sacrifice, it was still, they were caught up in the doing. And listen, let's just, let's be real. We are challenged with that as well. We get caught up in the doing, don't we? We forget that it's been done for us. That is a part, that is part and parcel of the message of baptism is that someone else is applying that water to you. Someone else is saying, right, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, your sin is washed away. That's what, that's part of the picture of what is happening for us in baptism. And we lose sight of that. Instead, we, we are busy going and doing, but the message that Mark and John the Baptist had, that he announces is, listen, all of those other washings, all of those other ways of dealing with the sin in your life, those are gone now. Because one is coming after me, and he will baptize you with the Spirit. And that's why Jesus came. It's why, in part, right, it's why he now himself goes to the wilderness. In the story, he goes out to the wilderness, and John the baptized baptizes him. And then, he, after that, he goes and he spends his time in the wilderness. And he's there for a period, and it's it's his trial period. He's there so that he can meet all of those obstacles in life and overcome them. Why? Because he does them in your place. He goes to the wilderness so you don't have to go to that wilderness the way that He did. He goes there so that He can secure for you everything that you need. And that is the message that Christ brings. When Jesus was born, as He's born, the road that He is on is not the road to an earthly throne. It's a road... That makes its way through the wilderness to the cross. And he travels that road so that you and I don't have to travel that road. So that we can go to him and receive that cleansing. Listen, this morning as we come, we come to the supper. The Lord's Supper is a reminder for us, isn't it? That lay your deadly doing down. Let go of all of your attempts to please God and and to have Him be favorable with you on account of what you've done. He's not. He won't be. He can't be. You can't do anything good enough to please Him. And so we lay our deadly doing down. We come to the supper and we say, He has done it for me. And That's a picture of what this is. That Christ laid down His life. And in His person for us had secured the righteousness that God himself demands of us. Let me pray for us. Father, we would thank you for the message that we have from your word, from the reminder that we have, that Mark has given to us, that Jesus coming in the flesh for us changes everything. Father, we want to see and we want to know that in a very tangible way. And so this morning we pray that you'll let us see it and let us grab hold of it as it comes to us in the form of this supper. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just give you a a reminder as we come to the supper that this is not, it's not my supper, it's not our supper as a church, it's the Lord's supper. And so we come and we want to take... Um, in a way that is fitting as becomes a believer. And so my encouragement to you is this, if you're here this morning, you've trusted in Christ, you've been baptized, and uh, you're a member of an evangelical church in good standing, then the supper is for you. Come, take and eat. But if you're here this morning, if you haven't taken that step, if you haven't professed Christ, or if you're, if you have not yet been baptized and are not a member of a an evangelical church, my encouragement is let the supper pass you by. Take, a, take the time to reflect on what this supper means for us as a community of believers and individuals. And then I would love it if you give me a call or come see me, and I'd love to talk to you about our personal relationship with Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. And a man should examine himself to see um, before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. So my encouragement to you this morning is if you're in the fight, if you're walking the walk of faith, this supper's for you. Come and eat. Let it be a means of grace for you. Let's take our... Hemel's that's staying